Good morning again, uh, Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church. This is uh, Dave McGuire coming to you um, with uh, Sunday School content um, on apologetics. I'm joined uh, this week by Keith Turner, um, who uh, is going to uh, interact and um, uh, is going to uh, contribute and uh, talk a little bit about uh, his experiences with um, understanding unbelievers. Um, a little bit about the format. We're trying this panel idea out. If it, if it works and if it's something that we enjoy, uh, we'll go ahead and, and expand it a little, um, see and play with uh, how we, how we uh, accomplish uh, bringing you this content uh, in, a, in a panel format. Uh, we really appreciate any uh, feedback you might have, uh, suggestions, um, and also questions or comments that, uh, that you leave on Facebook. Um, you know, we just want uh, folks to be able to share their experiences and their insight into, um, into sharing the gospel. Uh, so with that, uh, let's pray. Lord, uh, you have commanded us to go out and, and make disciples of all nations. You have given us the good news with which to do so. And you've given us uh, reason and intelligence and set our wills free that we might understand the um, the basic truths of the universe that you have uh, you've set forward. Um, thank you that uh, you've allowed us to come together. Uh, thank you for the technology that we um, utilize to experience it. And thank you that uh, we uh, ultimately are, are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, man is born free and everywhere he is in chains. Uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau thus begins one of the most famous treatises on society, the social contract. The idea is that humans are by nature free, but that when we started congregating together, building huts and fences and that kind of thing, that's when envy and greed and such arose. So the huts became fortresses and the fences became walls, and those who had more put their feet on the necks of those who had less. And there is, in my mind at least, a certain reasonability to that idea. And I remember in college, I was talking to a professor about an independent study course. I'd finished reading Man and Superman by Nietzsche and some works by Wittgenstein and Locke and Hegel. And I was developing my own theories on the nature of happiness and community and that kind of thing. And if you'd like a good laugh, you can certainly come by someday and ask me about them. I told this professor I was considering using the independent study course to write my own short book on my philosophy. And she said the two most important words of my intellectual life to that point. Who cares? And it stopped me dead in my tracks. Of course, everyone will want to know and what I think and read about what I think. What I think is important and what I think is valuable and reasonable. And then I began to really think about what she said and I began to extrapolate. Why do we care about the philosophies or worldviews of any of these people? They are limited humans with finite knowledge who cannot possibly know what the quote-unquote natural state of man is because they are born into the current state of man. This crisis of, of my own faith and humanity's ability to reason outside of himself, to transcend 
his current circumstances pushed me ultimately to read Romans, to really read Romans for the first time. And what does it show us? It shows us a transcendent view of the fallen nature of mankind. Uh, Keith, if you could read us uh, Romans 1, 18 through 23. All right. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness oppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There is a fear in believers that if we share our faith, we won't be able to answer every question or that we'll be mocked or made fun of or dismissed outright. Uh, we are here to confirm for you that every one of those fears is absolutely positively correct. Um, Keith? <laughs> um, I, I, I may have more examples of being of being scared to share my faith and actually sharing my faith. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, def I'm, I'm definitely guilty of what, at least what Moody is cited as saying that, you know, he likes the way he shares his faith better than the way you don't. Mm. <laughs> and so I, I, I have, I have the ability to rationalize just about any reason not to share the faith. Maybe I want to have a natural end in the conversation. So it's not so blunt or I want to respect someone's privacy or build my relationships first. And, um, but in the end, I know that my ultimate reason, all, there's truth in all those things. My ultimate reason is just a fear. Um, mm. I have so many examples. Probably the ones that stick out most to me are when I've dealt with some different cults. Uh, International Church of Christ is, um, they're really big on being baptized and how it's important to be baptized to be saved. And they're really strict on it. Like, even though I was baptized, but because I didn't believe baptism saved me, um, then I would not be a Christian. Hmm. And when I, when I met this um, early in my Air Force career, I, I didn't have good answers for some of those texts. Um, and so because I was so scared of not having a correct answer and answering every jot and tittle, I basically would try to avoid this guy at my work. And here was a guy who was so willing to talk about the Bible, open the scriptures, and yet I knew he was relying on his own works for his salvation. And just because I, I don't know if it, part, part of it was I didn't want to come off as inconsistent. I didn't want to lose the argument for God. But I mean, how horrible. I have a guy willing to hear the gospel. And, and because of my own fear and, and lack of readiness for those verses, I, I, I would literally avoid him for, for weeks at a time. So God knows that fear, and God knows that we are the ordinary means that he uses to spread the good news of the gospel. Um, and so 
uh, he gave us uh, or incredible insight into the the mind of the unbeliever there in in Romans one. And as you uh, talked about the the tendency towards legalism, the tendency towards uh, working toward and working out your own salvation in terms of of your righteousness and your work uh, is inherent in in the mind of the unbeliever. Um, they uh, they know God is real. Uh, and they are without excuse for not acknowledging this fact. Uh, they know God is eternal, uh, all power, all powerful, and divine. Um, this knowledge arises from our reflection of God's image. Uh, we are made to know these things, um, and God has shown them to us. Uh, so then, if that's the case, if man is without excuse, if man knows who God is, uh, and knows these very important truths about God uh, and has a relationship with God, as we've seen, um, either a relationship of, of, uh, of mercy and grace as, uh, as we have with him or uh, a relationship of wrath as the unbeliever has. Um, why are there unbelievers at all? Um, Keith, you have thoughts on that? Um, well... There's a verse that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I think sometimes when we talk about belief and ignorance, we, there's kind of different levels. Because when, when unbelievers say that they're ignorant of things or God hasn't talked to them, that's a genuine perception. They genuinely are looking for some audible voice or for some convincing. What they don't recognize is that deep down they actually have some level of knowledge, um, it, which makes them culpable. They're, they're actually responsible for the fact that there is, there is deep down um, in a way that they've deceived themselves not to see that they actually have a knowledge and in, uh, some kind of an impulse of God um, through creation, through conscience. Um, and, but they've suppressed that. And so now they're demanding some kind of proof or experience um, that they can't rightly demand and so sometimes, depending on the conversation I'm in with somebody, sometimes my goal, especially if it's somebody I, I, I will have multiple contacts with, it's an ongoing relationship, not somebody on the plane where I get one shot. But sometimes my goal in a given conversation is just to, just to get them see that they, they do have a bias. Just mm. to somehow shake their own, um, their own confidence in their own reasoning. I'm not, I'm not going to try to defend that I'm objective because I'm not objective either. I just want them to kind of come to the point, and of course this can only be done by the Spirit, but let them see at some level that they're not just some objective purveyor of data. Um, that they actually make choices and actually live by faith in certain things that they can't prove. And just to shake that so that they might be open to something like revelation because that's so many people just, they want to depend on science or, or logic and they, right. they don't realize that that's, that's fully, that's based on faith and bias. Mm. I know. Absolutely. And science is uh, methodology. Science can only tell us um, uh, about what we deserve or what we observe. And it can't tell us what, uh, how these things got there or why they're consistent. Um, and one of the things that, that I've talked to many, many people about is we'll get to this you know, in detail a little bit later, um, is how they, they believe in a purposeless, accidental, uncaring universe, but they don't live like that. 
And so like, like you said, to, to get them into to a point where they're, um, they're willing to question their, their own, um, their own reason, um, and not rely on their reason, uh, in order to, um, to explain how the world works because we're a component of the world. Um, you know, Farnham in this book that we're going through uses the illustration of attempting to keep a beach ball underwater. Uh, the, the ball shifts and it moves and uh, inevitably will re reach the surface at some point. The only way that we can keep it down, the only way that we can suppress the knowledge of God that we have in us is to actively try. Uh, we can see this in our unbelieving friends when they, they rail against injustice. Um, I uh, took this quote from the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, is dated uh, June 8th of 2020. A hardworking father killed just before 1 a.m. A Westside high school student murdered two hours later. A man killed amid Southside looting at a cell phone store at 12.30 p.m. A college freshman who hoped to become a correctional officer gunned down at 4.25 p.m. after getting into an argument in Englewood. This was from a, uh, an article about the deadliest day in Chicago history. 18 people were murdered. And what I find striking about this is that it's clearly a secular publication that this is in. And, and it's not just believers, not just people who see um, an inherent value in human life that find this disturbing and sad, um, but they affirm a cold, purposeless, impersonal universe filled by randomness and chaos. But the problem with that is that unless there is inherent value in the lives of these folks, you know, some of whose names are um, Kishene Bolden uh, out here in, in Las Vegas, there's Shay Michelonis, um, who's uh, paralyzed for life after, um, after a shooting, George Floyd, who, whose name we all know. Um, the only way the grief over these people makes sense uh, is if their lives were valuable and had inherent value, not if they were accidental. Um, so what then? The beach ball hits the surface and we feel guilty about our sin. It hits the surface again and we see um, others in pain or desire for something better. Um, the suppression then doubles down. It creates hundreds and thousands of different religions like the one you were talking about, um, made up of groups of minorities, and I say that in a racial sense, or not in a racial sense, rather, but in a sense of community, uh, on their own paths to absolution somehow, or their own paths to making the world a better place. Um, and in our current postmodern age, this has been distilled to its logical end. Uh, the ultimate minority is the individual, uh, so we must all determine truths for ourselves. So, the, the suppression then doubles down yet again and says not that the truth is out there, uh, but that there was never any transcendent truth to begin with. Um, there's a quote from Thomas Nagel, who teaches law and philosophy at NYU. And he says, I speak from experience, being strongly subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally I hope that I'm right in my belief. 
It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. They don't want God to be true. So irrationally then, they declare on the basis of their own reason that there is no absolute truth. And that suppression then is tripled down on. And I don't know, like, I, I don't play blackjack, so I don't know if there's a triple down. Is there a triple down in addition to a double down? I don't think so. <laughs> you can double, I think you can double down twice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then is that the same as splitting? I, I don't know. I, I've never played it before. Um, but this is the ultimate in self-deception. Um, to quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, I was reading a, an interview with him, and he says, when I f first saw the universe on the Hayden Planetarium Dome, I was struck by it, starstruck. Uh, I think the universe chose me because from that moment on, I wanted to commit my life to learning about it. So ultimately, all of these things, all of this irrationality, all of this calling, uh, giving personality to an impersonal thing, um, it is idolatry. To give personality to the personality-free universe or to give personality to a lump of wood or of stone or of clay or of gold is idolatry. Tim Keller calls an idol anything so central uh, and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. Uh, Nagel's idol there in, in desperately wanting God not to be real is his own atheism. It's his own desire to be right about the, the universe. He, he attaches hope to it because he wants it to be so. Uh, Tyson goes on in that interview to say, you have no idea how deep my fuel tank was to resist any force in my way. His idol is his own sense of determination and accomplishment. So um, if you, if you uh, most thoroughly, because of your idols, convince yourself to disbelieve what you know to be true, what happens? Uh, Farnham refers to this as an intellectual exchange. If I'm going to reread a couple of verses and then move on in Romans, uh, Keith, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, back to verse 22 in Romans 1. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of, about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of see parallel in that story that you were telling um, there, and it really makes sense that uh, God giving them up to the lusts of their hearts and their impurity uh, would lead to someone saying, I, I, I desire after this work that I can do to make myself right. Um, so I desire uh, this, uh, this baptism, which will save me. And I am special because I have it. Um, you know, thoughts on that? Did you ever end up uh, talking with that guy? There's the unmute. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, we we were actually stationed together for quite a while. So some of it was um, getting some study. I went and had to study those verses. So that gave me some confidence. 
Yeah. Um, not yeah. that I should have waited for that in hindsight. Um, they were also very aggressive in their evangelism in the sense that when they kind of got a convert, they expected that guy to start staring his faith like the next day. Mm. And there was something. So, so another guy in the squadron had, had kind of been converted and started evangelizing me. And I, on one hand, I thought, man, maybe she learned something first. On the other hand, I was, I was somewhat jealous of the fact that he, he was so willing to go. And, you know, if all he could say is I once was blind and now I see, there's something to be admired in that. Um, hmm. um, but yeah, we, we definitely had some talks. Um, I think over time he actually admitted that usually when he sees people who call themselves Christians, they don't have a life that backs it up. So actually Ooh. in the end, he, he became quite challenged by the fact that the only error he could really see was my view of baptism. And he, he had actually not experienced that before. Usually that was just a sign of people who didn't take the Bible seriously or, or didn't care to discuss it at all. So um, I, I don't know whatever happened to him. I think he continued in his, his cult, if not unbelief. Yeah. I'd say I, that's, that's really interesting that, um, you know, so he would focus in on the, the, the lived life of the person that he was um, uh, trying to refute and he, he couldn't refute that with you. Um, but he also knew that the, that the, the legalistic requirements of, of baptism and the, the right view of baptism, the, the only right view of baptism in his mind or the only possible right view, uh, still placed a separation between you. Uh, it was the, the hill that he was willing to die on. Yeah, and, and of course the world is full of nominal Christians who claim Christianity yeah. and, and mean nothing. So he kind of just threw me in, in that whole group of everybody. Um, and yeah, he had never had a serious challenge. I, I think a lot of the cults do become that way. And unbelievers, they kind of have their one or two line that kind of deflects the argument argument and think they're safe and they can hide behind platitudes or whatever. Yeah. But if we can yeah. learn just to penetrate just a little bit, we don't have to have all the answers. But, but again, it, mm -hmm. even if someone comes to your door sharing their cultish faith, if, if you could even plant a seed of doubt as they go away and wrestle with that, that, that might be something the spirit can really use. Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, and then you do uh, begin to understand that that uh, um, th you do begin to understand that if you uh, cling to a lie so great uh, or cl cling to a lie so dearly that you'll begin to be open to um, believing just anything, and you'll you'll accept literally anything uh, except for the the basic truth that you know, uh, God is who he says he is, did what he says he did, um, and will do what he says he will do. Um, so exchanging that truth for a lie, uh, leads to all sorts of, uh, really nutty beliefs. Um, I, uh, was reading the, another article, um, to bring it back out to the, uh, the, the atheist or the unbeliever, uh, about, um, Andrew Franknoy, who, uh, teaches at the University of San Francisco. Um, and he says, uh, but it is also possible that advanced civilizations would have sent into space thousands of tiny canisters holding the germs of life programmed to incubate and grow when they encounter suitable conditions around a star. 
And that's me is uh, that's mind blowing because the the idea that we are the irrational ones, that Christians believe in a God and and miracles, um, and these are that 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 makes us in some way irrational when um, you you have this competing viewpoint out there that uh, oh well it was just aliens who went ahead and, and sent canisters throughout uh, um, throughout the universe. Um, Isaiah 44 talks about the man who cuts down a tree and with half his log builds a fire to cook his food and with the other half of the log makes an idol to thank for his food. Um, this is the essence of all we've seen from those we've talked about and, and quoted above. They exchange rationality for irrationality because fallen man will accept anything other than the God who created him. And there are consequences for this. God gives them up to dishonor. Uh, and so they hurt and they are broken and they lash out. Uh, they can't fill the sense of emptiness that they feel. So they seek after more and more of whatever it is that they think will fill it. Uh, sometimes, and um, I think that uh, you talked about that a little bit, Keith, is that you know, th this is, these, these guys are so passionate about what they believe that they have this uh, veneer of rationality about them, a veneer of, um, of, uh, of having things together. Um, and then they uh, are so confident in, in what they believe that they go out there and they evangelize you know, the, the next day. Um, but ultimately, you know, what are they doing? They're, they're refilling themselves with that the legalism and the moralism that uh, got them into this uh, got them to this place in the, fir in the first place where they, they believe that baptism saves you and that one view of baptism is all that you can have. Um, that you, that they, in, in, um, in uh, getting to that, that place where that, that moralism and legalism took them, then seek after more and more of it by communicating it to other people, if that makes sense. Um, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, partly for them, it's a numbers game, right? You've got to win your souls and and stack it up. I think also, I, I think the Romans 1 teaches us that, um, you know, we're, we're, none of us are really objective. Our, our thinking is, is affected by our passions. Um, and so we have to be careful about winning some kind of an intellectual argument. Mm. Um, number one, we can't. God's going to ultimately have to do it. But and although we do use reason and we want to meet them as image bearers where they are and try to lead them. But also, I, I think there are times that we can win a doctrinal point or win a political point. And you haven't won a soul, per se. Mm. Um, you know, I think you said it one of the previous weeks. If, if you get a, a, an atheist to become a deist, you haven't really done much. Or if, yeah. or if you get, if you, you know, there are people who are, quote, saved from Mormonism. And yet they don't come to evangelicalism. They just leave religion altogether. And I, I'm not sure that's necessarily a better place to be. And so the words we use, the emphasis we put on things, we do want to get to the heart and not just win, you know, some kind of academic uh, intellectual argument. Yeah, it's a great, great weekly reminder, daily reminder, hourly reminder that we need to be gentle and gracious and winsome. Um, and we need to praise God that the, um, we, that we've been placed into this situation where we are, um, we're giving the gospel 
And we have to remember that the, when the gospel found us, we were dead in our sins. This, this person that we're talking to is dead in their sins. And there's nothing special about uh, a pile of dry bones that we were once and they are now. Um, so we, um, it's just a, it's a very good reminder that uh, winning arguments isn't the, isn't the, the purpose of um, apologetics. It's not the purpose of evangelism. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and, it's both humbling uh, uh, and yeah. encouraging. Hum- humbling yeah. because we were not for God's grace, there go I. But also when we don't have the answers and they might have us outwitted that God, you know, he, they're not beyond God. And so don't worry yeah. about that. Yeah. No, good point. And great way to close this out. I appreciate that. Um, uh, any, any parting thoughts? No, it, it, I think we've said everything. Um, I just, you know, I pray for myself and for everyone that we can boldly and clearly share the gospel. Those are the words that Paul uses. Um, you know, confidence in the spirit and the power of the gospel, which precedes these verses that if gospel mm-hmm. is the power of God to salvation, not us. Amen. No. And uh, we'll make that our prayer to close. Thanks. I appreciate it, Keith. Thank you.